Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. If you're a guest with us, we want to offer you a very special welcome. We are so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. And there is one thing that you can do that would honor us, is just to know who you are and how we can best serve you. There's a tab that's in the pew that's in front of you. If you wouldn't mind taking it, filling out, and putting the offering plate as it comes by, it's the only offering that we ask of our guests, is just to know who you are, how we can pray for you, how we can serve you as the body in Christ. Just a couple of announcements I'd like to point your attention to in the bulletin. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, so the office will be closed tomorrow. Uh, and uh, there's, with that, there's kind of a, a new schedule that's going to be going on uh, over the course of the summer. Uh, most of the midweek activities will be on hiatus until school starts back in August. However, uh, there are a few things that are going to be going on, one of which uh, is that Jim Amick is looking to teach a course on Wednesday nights. And if you're interested in that, they're trying to see if we have a big enough group uh, to do that. And so there is a sign-up sheet uh, that's over on the bar uh, on your way out the back. And so if you're interested in doing that, I think he may even be cooking for those who want to come if they can get a big enough group. And so if you're interested in that, make sure to sign up today on your way out because uh, by, the, by this time next Sunday, we're going to determine whether or not we have a big enough uh, group to do the class. And so if you're interested in that, even if you can't make it every week, uh, sign up for that on your way out today. At this time, I'm going to ask Brother Tony Day to come uh, and to honor all of those who have sac given the ultimate sacrifice for our country and for our freedom to be here today. Thank you, Reverend Sandberg. It was Christmas morning, 1967. It was chilly. It was raining. I was sitting on a bench for the rain parker on as the rain came down in a town in Vietnam, in a village in Vietnam. As the rain poured down, I looked across the muddy street and I saw a little shanty of a store. And it had a cross, it had a star on the front of it, a Christmas star that had the word Noel on it. I thought of my family and friends back in America who were spending hopefully a much different and better Christmas. That inspired me to write a poem called A Soldier's Worst Fear. But first, let me honor our own veterans. Would our veterans please stand up? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you for your service. If it weren't for you, we would not be here today. We would not be enjoying the freedoms that we enjoy. Having served in several communist and socialist countries, you'll never know what freedom really is until it's taken away from you. 
and for these fine people that just stood and we had the opportunity and privilege to applaud their service. It's because of them that we're here today. A soldier's worst fear. In some third world country filled with trepidation and fear, we think to ourselves, why the heck are we here? With a thousand other soldiers, you still feel alone. Because if you die here, so far from home. Fighting for a third world country gives reason to pause. But you know what you're doing is for a far greater cause. We fight for those words in God we trust. But have we forsaken him for greed and for lust? For God and freedom, I'll fight and I'll die. But we cannot win when we're living a lie. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, it can happen today. Without God in our lives, there can be no USA. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom that you've afforded us in this country to live the Christian lifestyle that you would desire for us and everyone. Let us take this out into the fields, out into the world, so everyone will know what you are, who you are, that you died for our sins, and that we should follow in your footsteps. This I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I hope everyone is enjoying this wonderful Decoration Day weekend. Did you know that that was what Memorial Day was first called? It was Decoration Day. It came out of the Civil War when families of the fallen would go and decorate the graves of their fallen, both North and South. And over the years, it transformed into Memorial Day. So this Memorial Day, we're going to sing some praises to God. We're going to sing first, excuse me, number 634. My country tis of thee, then we're going to just look over to the next page, 633, mine eyes have seen the glory. And in between that, we're going to welcome each other with the love of Christ. So when you have found 634, please stand.
This song uh, I'm about to sing is one that I wrote called The Rose of Hope. It's a song about mourning, about remembering those who have died, but also a recognition that as Christians, we don't grieve like everyone else does, that our death has a purpose and that each of us has a hope that we can look forward to. And so this morning, I'd like to dedicate this song to all of our fallen soldiers and their families as they go through a lifetime of remembrance and grief for their loved ones. Uh, we pray for them and encourage them that uh, the sacrifice that their loved ones made did have a purpose and a meaning and that each of us has hope that we can look forward to in Jesus Christ.
Well, I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're continuing our series talking about a vibrant faith. While you're making your way there, I want to let you know that the newsletter is back. And so if you're interested in picking up a copy of this, there's one on the bar on your way out the back entrance. Uh, if you know of someone who... Uh, is not able to come to church and would like a physical copy mailed to them, you can put them on the list at the office. Just call Paula, and she'll have these mailed out. Also, if you're interested in getting uh, the if you're interested in getting uh, the newsletter through email, you can get on that list. Brother Larry, did you have an announcement? Uh, there's. Uh, Something about an offering? I'm not sure which one you're referring to, though. Oh, we skipped the offering. I guess nobody came forward, that's why. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this morning. And while they're coming, I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and then can you play something, and then we'll, uh, we'll get to the screen the sermon right after that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning thanking you that we're able to be in your house, able to worship you. Lord, we are very humbled by the tremendous sacrifice that's been made for us to even be able to gather here today. Lord, we pray that as we take an opportunity to give a portion of what you've so graciously gifted us with, that each one of us would be willing to make the sacrifices that you've called us to in every way of our lives, to be able to walk worthy of the sacrifice that has been made for us, not only by each of our soldiers giving us the freedom to be able to be here today, but ultimately the sacrifice of your Son. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.
All right, now take your Bibles. Turn over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 13 through 18. And really, if you were going to, to sum up the theme of the entire book of James, it is we don't want to just have faith. We want to have a real faith. We want to have a vibrant faith. We want to have a growing faith. And James tells us what are some of the marks of a true faith? What are some of the marks of a, a faith that's mature and growing and thriving? And here in this latter section of chapter 3, what James is telling us is that a faith that's mature, a faith that's wise, a faith that is growing and vibrant is a faith that loves and works for peace. That ultimately, each one of us are called to love God and to love one another. But sometimes, love doesn't just happen. It's something that we do. It's something that we have to work on. It's something that we have to strive for. It was once suggested to the president that they make a new department, a new cabinet secretary, that they felt like that we needed a secretary of peace. And the president responded, we do have a secretary of peace. He's called the secretary or she's called the secretary of war. Because ultimately, what is the ultimate goal of our national defense? It is not to constantly be at war, is it? It's not to be in conflict, but it is to resolve conflict. It is so that our national defense is to a point where we never enter war in the first place, or when we do enter it, it is resolved as quickly as possible so that we can live at peace with one another. In the same way, what James is, is teaching us is that sometimes we have to work, that we have to strive for, that sometimes we even have to fight for peace, and that ultimately living at peace with one another is essential to living the abundant life that God has planned for us. And so we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. And I would encourage you to stand with me as we read together. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where is the envy and selfish ambition? There is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning asking that your wisdom would fill our hearts. We pray that each one of us will have a heart of love and selflessness, that we would have a 
not a love, not only a love for you, but a love for those who are around us that drives us to love peace and to pursue it with passion. Lord, give us the courage to do the hard things that restore relationships, resolve misunderstandings, and help us to demonstrate to the world what true faith in you looks like. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's one thing for James to tell us, I'll just live at peace with everybody. But ultimately, that's something that's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, I think that we could all live at peace with each other if there weren't any other human beings in our life. But the truth is, is that whether you're talking about a work environment or you're talking about a church or you're talking about a family, whenever you put two people in a room, you're going to have three different opinions on something. And so the reality is, is that while we all believe peace is a good thing, a desirable thing, it's not something that happens by itself. And so James is giving us three very practical guidelines, things that we need to do in order to cultivate and reap the rewards of peace in our life. First and foremost, James is telling us that sowing peace begins in the heart. That sowing peace begins in the heart. Now, as Asher and I have been in our time of ministry, this is now the, the third home that we lived in. The first two places that we lived were parsonages. And it's kind of difficult to feel like something is your home when it's not really your home. And so one of the things that I did at the first two places that I lived in, and we will eventually, once we get out of having these mountain of boxes in our garage and, and all of that, is I, I built my wife a flower garden, a pretty big one, at each of the houses that we were in. We had all kinds of flowers, daylilies. Colleen even had her own section at our last house where we had the, the looking flowers and the picking flowers, and she could go and pick anything she wanted to out of her side of the garden, but she had to leave Ashton's angel face roses, which are this lavender purple rose. It's just this absolutely gorgeous rose. And at each house, I've, I planted these, these rose beds, and, and she was actually a little bit heartbroken because, you know, I had... I'd, planted all of these roses at our first house, and she fell in love with them, and then we moved down to Springfield, and I went to go build her a new flower garden. They didn't have any of the angel face roses anywhere we could find for a couple years, and eventually I finally found some. I planted them, and then the very next year we moved up to Virginia, and so I told her, we're going to get around to it. We're going to plant this garden. I'll, I'll find you some angel face roses, and we're not going to move this time. But one of the things that I've learned over the years, nine years of flower gardening, is one of the very most important things that you can do to help plants grow is first, you have to put them in good soil. It's an absolute necessity. And you can see there's a picture up here of, you know, kind of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly 
when it comes to soil. You know, when you want good soil, you want something that's almost black. I mean, as dark as you can get it. I mean, it's got to have that richness. It's got to have something that the plants are going to thrive in. Unfortunately, if you go to my yard now in Virginia, it is the red clay with a whole bunch of pieces of granite sticking up all over the place. I mean, I live on a hill. The water has just taken all the topsoil off, and all you got left is clay and rocks. If you have the thing all the way over to the right, basically just sand, you might as well just have a rock garden like they do over in Arizona because you're not going to get anything to grow in that. What James is telling us here is that ultimately, if you're going to live at peace with other people, then it starts by taking a look at the soil of your heart. Because if your heart's not in the right place, if it's full of all the wrong kinds of stuff, then ultimately it doesn't matter what anyone else does around you, you're not going to find yourself living at peace. Look back at what it says. That if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart... Don't boast and deny the truth that such wisdom doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. It doesn't matter what kind of plant that you take, whether it's healthy and vibrant, if you stick it in the middle of sand and clay and rocks, it's not going to grow. It's not going to thrive. It's probably going to die And if it doesn't, it's certainly not going to prosper. And the truth is, is that it doesn't matter where you stick yourself in life. It doesn't matter where where you work. It doesn't matter who you're married to. It doesn't matter what in-laws you have. It doesn't matter what church you're a part of. If your heart is full of negativity, if you're always looking for the negative in others, you will always find it. Regardless of how great your spouse is, regardless of how loving your church family is, if you're always looking for something bad, there's always going to be something bad for you to see. Ultimately, each one of us are people. We have our own preferences. We have our own needs. And if our heart is so full of selfishness, that we always prioritize our needs and our desires over the needs of our spouse, our co-workers, our church members, then ultimately we are always going to be in conflict with others. What James is telling us here is, is that maybe we need to have a dirt transplant of the heart that If we're going to be able to live at peace with other people, it begins with us taking a look in the mirror and saying, does my heart provide the kind of environment that peace can flourish in? And if not, maybe the very first step to changing the relationships that I am constantly struggling with isn't with everybody else. Perhaps peace begins with me. James not only tells us that sowing peace begins in the heart, he tells us that cultivating peace necessitates a gentle response. That cultivating peace necessitates a gentle 
response. So I'm going to look, let's look at verse 13 and 17. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. You know, I think that there are some things that we inherit from our parents. I think one of the things that I inherited from my father, and that's my children, especially my daughter, but both of them have inherited from me, is a big, loud voice. When I was growing up and I was playing sports, you could hear my father two soccer fields away cheering for his kids. I obviously can project a little bit. I probably wouldn't need a microphone necessarily in this room. And when I take my kids out, if you've ever been around my kids for very long, you know that their like normal volume level is like way up here. Even outside, we tell them to use their inside voice because, you know, they're just way, way above everybody else. I'll take them out in the woods, or maybe we'll try to do a little bit of fishing, and I'll, I'll try to explain to them, you got to be quiet. We don't want to scare away the fish. We want to see the birds. I see the deer. But without fail, I mean, like, if you're within a couple acres of us in the woods, I'm sorry if there's anybody out there hunting. Of course, if they're out there hunting, then they probably need to hear us. But if you're within any kind of distance from us out in the woods, you're going to hear Colleen's voice just penetrating through all of the trees. And because of that, we don't get to see the deer. We don't get to see any of the birds. I got to resort to having my kids naming the trees as we're going through to keep them occupied and something to do. And ultimately, I hope that at some point, they'll learn the lesson. If you want to catch the fish, you can't always be rocking the boat. That if you want to see the birds, then you got to stop and smell the roses and not scare them away. And here what I think James is telling us is, is that if we're going to live at peace with one another... But how we respond, the manner, the tone, the body posture, the directness, the personal contact, is just as important as the words that we say. What is he telling us? He's saying that we have to respond in gentleness, mercy, compliance, having the good fruit and coming without pretense. Because the truth is, is that if people are so focused on how we're saying what we're saying, and they're immediately put on the defensive and taken back by the tone and the accusatory nature and the intensity of our body posture and our tone that regardless of how well-crafted the words are that come out of our mouth, they're not going to hear anything that we're saying. And that each of us should remember that 
It's not just about the truth of the Holy Spirit, but each of us have to exemplify the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness. That ultimately, that each of us as the Lord's servants shouldn't be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, apt teachers, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. Because God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth. That as believers, we need to understand that how we say something is just as important as what we say. And ultimately, if unbelievers are going to hear a message of love, it has to be delivered in a loving way. James is telling us that sowing peace begins in the heart, that cultivating peace necessitates a gentle response. But finally, James teaches us that reaping peace requires unwavering work. It requires unwavering work. Look with me in verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. One of the things that my family is really looking forward to now that we're near the mountains and now that summer is upon us and my kids are out of school and we have a Friday-Saturday that we can get out in nature together is to be able to explore the many hikes and mountains and waterfalls up at uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway. When I was growing up, a lot of our family vacations centered around being around nature. We went to the Smoky Mountains in my senior year. We went on the trip of a lifetime. We took three weeks, and we went out west, and we hit most of the national parks along the way. And kind of the highlight of the trip was we took an entire week, and we camped at Yosemite National Park. In Yosemite, there is a mountain that is just absolutely breathtaking. It's called Half Dome. Half Dome being because it has, just pause there for a second, it's got half of the dome on one side and just a sheer drop on the other. So you can climb up the one side, but then you can look out and it's just like the world is laying out before you. This hike, however, is 16 miles with a 4,800 feet elevation to get to the top. As you can see here, 400 of those feet are straight up the mountain. So when I'm hiking up this thing, I don't have a harness on. I don't have anything belaying me to the sides. On this next picture, you can see that literally these are just posts that are dug into the mountain with a little board that you would kind of rest on every now and then. And you've got these little cables that are going through. And when we went up there, we hiked up to the top. We got to see everything on our way back down. There was a fifth grade class that was coming up this mountain. Now, it wasn't the entire fifth grade class. It was kind of like a select group of fifth graders, but it was a really big group of, of kids. And I don't know, you probably had at least a dozen kids per adult. And so while we're coming down, there's this little fifth grade girl who's coming up and she loses her balance. Now, let me just tell you, if you lose your balance here, you go splat. 
All right, back up just for a second. You go splat. I mean, you're dead if you, if you fall off this thing, all right? So she, she's a little bit unsturdy. She starts to lose her balance. She grabs onto one of the posts that's into the mountain, and she jerks back, and the post comes straight out of the mountain. And there she is kind of like dangling like this, you know? And so she's screaming bloody murder for dear life. You ought to have seen the eyes of the teacher like 12 students down. They were like, ah. And they couldn't get to her. She kind of settled down. We, we slid down to her. We were the kind of closest adults, people around next to her. We kind of got her calmed down. Needless to say, I doubt that that school probably went back on that field trip the next year. <laughs> but in the end, in the end, we hiked 16 miles straight up the side of a mountain before that, we had prepared all year. I had been playing soccer, and I had been on swim team, and we had gone on shorter hikes to kind of build up our endurance to where we could get to the point where we got to the top of Half Dome, and when we look out, we saw this. Now, I can't describe for you in a picture what it's like to feel like you are on top of the world to feel all the wind surrounding you, to see all the mountains just unfold at your feet. It is just absolutely breathtaking. And not very many people get to experience what it feels like for that. Because they won't hike up 16 miles, 400 feet straight up, almost a 5,000-foot incline. It takes work. It takes endurance. I mean, it takes a whole lot of work just to get your body in shape to the point where you could make that hike, more or less actually do it. It's not something that just happens. But man, it's the experience of a lifetime. And I think that for many of us, we have this preconception that peace is great, but we think that it just happens. And the truth is, is that it doesn't. It takes work. You know, like you think about your marriage, you know, you spend all that time planning for the wedding ceremony and you're feeling all good inside and they walk down the aisle and she's looking so pretty and you, you get up to the, the front and you say, I love you. I love you too. And then you think life is just going to be peaches and cream from that point on and then you get back from the honeymoon and you realize, wait a second, this is real life. He doesn't fold the towels like I wanted him to fold. He sleeps on my side of the bed and he steals the covers. She doesn't cook like my mama cooks. <laughs> not only does she not cook like my mama cooks, but she forgot to cook at all tonight. <laughs> when he gets home... He just takes off all his clothes and leaves them in a trail to the bedroom like I'm his mama to pick them up. And then you get to the real good stuff like raising kids. Oh, my. And in-laws. You know, when we said I do, I was saying I do to her. I wasn't saying I do to the in-laws for the rest of my life. But then what do you know? Every time you want to go on vacation, every time the phone rings, you got this relationship to deal with. 
that every single one of us at a workplace has that person that can just really get under your goat. And in the body of Christ, why aren't all of us perfect yet? I mean, we got the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? I mean, why can't we just all act like adults and get along? Well, the truth is, is that aren't we all human? We have our own preferences. We have our own struggles. And the truth is, is that peace requires work. You know what James is telling us here is that, you know what? Don't get discouraged when you find that you're in conflict with other people in your life. You should expect it. Just like we don't expect to walk into our backyard and then just suddenly appear tomatoes and corn and cucumbers for us to pick, right? I mean, if we want that stuff, we got to put in the work to get it. And in the same way, we shouldn't just expect for all of our relationships to always be great. We have to put in the work to make them great. So we shouldn't be surprised or discouraged when difficulties come along. But also, James isn't just telling us don't be surprised. He's saying don't give up because it's worth it. As he said in verse 17 that our love for peace and our desire to strive and to work for it should be unwavering. Because ultimately, if you want to experience the best that God has to offer for you in your life, if you want to experience what true abundant life is, it requires us to get out of our comfort zones, to have some difficult conversations, to be uncomfortable rather than run away. Because too many times when we are confronted with the difficulties of relationships, rather than put in the work, rather than put ourselves out there, rather than get uncomfortable and have conversations that expose legitimate disagreement and different points of view, what we choose to do instead is just to sweep it under the rug, pretend like it's not there, and when we can't avoid it anymore, we just leave. And in our culture where half of marriages end within the first 10 years, where people hop from job to job to job to job because they can't get along with their coworkers or their boss, where as churches we just swap members all the time every time that there is a disagreement amongst each other, we're missing out on the best that God has to offer us. Because, you know, the truth is, is that when we are saved, the best parts of heaven start right now. That we have the presence of a holy God who lives inside of us. That right now, we are living with the people we will be spending the rest of eternity with. Or at least I hope we'll be spending the rest of eternity with them. I hope that they're there because they see a difference in us. A difference that only the love and the peace and the power of God can make in our lives and in our hearts. 
But none of that just happens by itself. It's something that requires work and perseverance. But man, when we get it right, when you have a marriage that lasts a lifetime, when the relationship that you have with your friends and your neighbors is one that is a witness to them of the love of Christ, when we as the body of Christ come together in the midst of our differences and differing needs, but yet still lovingly sacrifice for one another in the love and in the name of Jesus. That is when you get to experience the mountaintops of this life that otherwise you'd only see from pictures. And so this morning, James is challenging each of us to strive to live at peace with others. Because that is one of the marks of a wise and a vibrant faith. And we live at peace with one another. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, I think that it begins with the Holy Spirit taking a mirror to our heart. Perhaps part of the problem is that each of us individually need to do a heart check. Perhaps there's some things in our life, areas of selfishness, that we need to let go of. Not that we can't have our own opinions or our own needs, our own preferences, but as the Scripture tells us, to value the needs of others as much as you do yourself. Perhaps we've been gripped by a spirit of anger and negativity. That everywhere we look, rather than seeing the blessings and goodness of God, what we see is the fault of others. And the truth is, is as long as we hang on to that, we have no hope of living at peace with one another, more or less a life of joy and happiness in the Lord. And perhaps we need to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our heart and help us to let go of some of those things. Perhaps this conversation isn't one that is pie in the sky for you, the reality is, is that most of us in this room have at least one broken relationship in our life. A neighbor, co-worker, family member, friend, church member. And the truth is, is that regardless of what happened, regardless of whose fault it is, that relationship remains broken. And God's calling each of us as mature believers to do everything we can to make it right. Perhaps that means going to that person and saying, this piece of what happened is on me. Whether that's 2% of the problem or 95% of the problem, our 2% is 100% our responsibility. Perhaps our problem isn't 
that we think the wrong thing, but how we went about communicating it. And it wasn't gentle. It wasn't loving. And for at least that, we need to say, I'm sorry. What can we do to make things right? But ultimately, for each of us, if we're going to experience the abundant life that God has to offer us, it takes a commitment to say, I love peace so much in my life that I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whatever I can do on my part to make it happen. We're going to sing a song of invitation, a time of prayer, a time of reflection, a time of commitment. And I want to encourage you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's stand together and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking that you would deal with each of our hearts. Lord, we pray that the sacrifices that have made for us will not have been made in vain, but that we would live worthy to the calling that we've received, that our lives would demonstrate not only our love for you, but your love for everyone around us. Lord, I pray that each of us would do everything within our power to live at peace with everyone, deal with our hearts, give us wisdom on how to mend broken relationships, give us humility, and help us to experience the amazing joy that comes with a life of peace. Lord, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the awesome privilege of being able to come into your presence. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of these doors today, that each of us would remember the sacrifice that allows us not only to meet here on Sunday, but to live in the amazing freedom that we have. Help us not take it for granted. Live every day like it'll be our last. And God, I pray that at the end of our life, our focus, that our legacy will be the relationships that we've left behind. Help us to live for the people that you've put around us. And help us to put in the effort every day to have relationships that not only bring great joy to our lives, but bring glory and honor to your name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.